Hello, 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 and thank you for joining us on Heron's Home Podcast. I'm your host, Karee Robertson, alongside my sound man extraordinaire, Rico G. What's up, everybody? How y'all doing? How y'all feeling? Mm, and this is episode 36. I hope everybody's been well, been nice and entertained while they're sheltered in place, yeah, keeping it, yeah. keeping it, you know, semi-productive, if productive at all. No worries. <laughs> keeping it easy. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I want to start out by giving a shout out. You know, a lot of people who supported this podcast through like donations of, uh, you know, artistic material and so forth. But we've gotten our first round of paid subscribers. So I'm going to give a shout out to my boy, Mark, out yeah. in Washington. Thank I really you, appreciate you. You know, and, and, and for the people who, who, who donate, I'll give you guys shout outs on the air. You know, we'll work on things that uh, we can start bringing to bring some more value to that subscription. But I appreciate you and look forward to, uh, to more of that happening. But yeah. So for sure. Thank you. Have you, uh, you been watching anything uh, interesting as of late? Uh, I only saw uh, like one thing <clears throat> since last time. And I wouldn't say it was interesting. Uh, oh, actually, that's not true. The um, the premise seemed pretty interesting, and it kind of hooked me. It was uh, this Netflix movie called The Endless. Okay. Um, basically, on the, that little screen pr- trailer window, it, it showed of a, a, a guy w- looking in this tent, and inside the tent was a person that was trapped in a time loop. And it was pretty ridiculous. So I was like, that alone. And that That's and the not- title <clears throat> hooked me into checking out the the, the movie. That absolutely would get my attention. So I checked it out. It seemed pretty interesting. Um, Is it a series or a movie? It was a movie. It's a movie. Okay. Uh, it's about... Sci-fi like, or horror? Uh, I'd say sort of like a horror thriller, I guess, kind mm-hmm. of. Okay. It's, it's about these two brothers that escape a cult. And uh, they get pulled back in mm-hmm. at the beginning of the movie. And then you slowly start to figure out what's going on, and that's how the um, the time loops are incorporated and shit. But I don't know. It was a bit of a slow burn, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I thought the concept was cool, and the, while the movie was okay, it didn't live up to my expectation of the concept. Mm. That's all. But it was it was interesting. It was a good watch. I, 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 I'll give the movie this. I fell asleep halfway through it after I woke up. I rewound back to where I was and continue watching the movie. So you know, what hey, I mean? it's a it's an immediate rewind. That's yeah. pretty rare. <laughs> usually, it's like yeah. I'll rewatch you another day altogether. But usually, if I fall asleep in the middle of a movie, it's another day, man. I'm just go finish this nap and watch this movie another time. That's what's up. Um, I watched a bunch of shit actually. Um, nice. Yeah, <laughs> I've been catching up. But uh, I watched. Uh, Military Thor. What's the name of that movie on Netflix? Military Thor. It, it's the dude who plays Thor, but he's, he's oh, a comedian. Oh, extraction, extraction. Extraction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was actually... I, I enjoyed that a lot. A I lot more than I expected to. So usually a good action movie for me is a solid six. Mm-hmm. Okay? I'm entertained, but it's not... I gave this one a seven because honestly, I... Because he's a good actor. And so at the points where, so he did, the action was amazing. There was a ton of really good, um, just solid, long cut action points. Mm -hmm. And then uh, on top of that, the points where it was required for him to act were genuinely well done because that's his chops. And so, yeah, yeah, overall, it made the movie a lot more enjoyable Um, because 
and, and it was funny because all the side characters were pretty trash. You know what I mean? Like it was sad because he was putting on such a good it was um it was like the Venom syndrome. Yeah. You know how like where Tom Hardy put on such an amazing performance, <clears throat> every all the side characters in that Everybody movie were trash. It in. Yeah, it hey, was man, just we like didn't get right. a check anyway. Nah. You're the biggest Toms, man. So um, no, extraction was good, man. They had uh so I do want to check that out. Yeah. So the the premise is is that he's a mercenary and um, he was hired to, as you can imagine, perform an extraction. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so it, it, it goes through that. And, and there's actually twists. It's not just a straight line. You know what I mean? Which I appreciated because they could have just made it a straight line and absolutely right, yeah, fulfilled sure. everything I expected of it, <laughs> which is why I gave it a seven okay. because they didn't just do the straight line. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, the man, the action was real good, man. It was really, really well done. Um, is it majority like um, gun stunts or is it like also hand to hand as well? I would say probably 55 45. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty good. And mix. Pretty it good was mix. such a good mix that I couldn't tell you which one was more predominant. Okay. That's pretty I just, good mix. I, I like that. but I would say it wasn't exactly even, but they were both really like there was a lot of both. Okay. That's pretty and, dope. Yeah. And, you know, probably maybe a very small amount of the um, scenes came out to like, action like uh like chase action type stuff yeah. which i don't prefer so because uh, if you're gonna do that you better be on some baby driver shit you know what i mean like if you're not gonna hit me with that baby driver don't even come at me with no with no mediocre car chase if you're not doing an italian job keep your car chase at home like they've 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 innovated way to, you know what i mean yeah, like if you're gonna yeah. make a superhero movie don't you know what I mean? You got to come Cruise correct. Tom Cruise be doing some dope ass car chases too. Let me tell you, I dislike Tom Cruise as a person greatly. Like, but <laughs> I am highly ever entertained by every Mission Impossible. I don't yeah. know fucking why. That one character he has, that one like skinny white guy that beats up everyone, that fucks with that character. I don't know, man. Mission Jack Impossible. Reacher, the... <clears throat> I watched that one too, and he was pretty dope in that. Yeah, I mean, it was the same exact role, dude. It's the same dude. It's just Tom Cruise. Absolutely, <laughs> it's just Tom Cruise. He's but just yeah. running super fast. <laughs> and then you know, say he's in a car. They, they have mastered that shot, by the way. The Tom Cruise running. <laughs> the sprint, oh my yo, god! There's decades of it. He footage lives for me. that sprint, bro. But yeah, so so extraction definitely gets a solid seven. Great, uh, def- and entertaining, and that for once, this is not one that requires you to be buddied up to enjoy. I know I've been talking about a lot of that for the past couple of weeks, but this one I would highly recommend. You can watch it with a friend, watch it with a with a lady, watch it by yourself. It'll entertain you no matter what. Uh, um, I'm gonna check that out. I finally got around to Kidding season two. Nice. That's the How one with that? uh, Jim Carrey, mm-hmm. and it it definitely kept up the the uh, the nature of the show. That kind of really off the wall, crazy like life coming at all angles very fast with like really like. I don't know if colorful is the right word to say about the the, the cast of characters, mm-hmm. but they all developed a lot in this season, very interestingly. And man, let me tell you, it is such an interesting expose into mental health issues. It really, and, and it's done in a dark comedy way. And so it's entertaining. Right. But at the same token, it's like these are very serious issues. You know what I mean? That yeah. are being these presented are by these tragic people. Characters. Absolutely. Very tragic. And um it's interesting because um Jeff's issues, I would say, are more uh stunted development issues. That's the main character, Jim yes. Carrey, right? Yeah. Okay. Jim Carrey's character has more of stunted development issues. 
um, through neglect and caring, through early separation from his mother, a lot of things caused him to stunt his development. So in this season, you see him grow a ton as a person, just as a person. And so a lot of the weird things about Jeff are actually going, not, not going away, but he's working through them and he see and he's engaging them in a lot less weird of a weird way by the end of the season, which is really- That's progress. Yes, I enjoy watching that. And like, it's done in a really crazy way. You know what I mean? And like, I don't know, like it, I really, I gotta uh, look up who is writing these, these scripts and if Jim Carrey is uh, inputting into them, because man, I can't imagine who's coming up with these storylines. They, I would have <laughs> never imagined. Like they, they, like they get an A plus plus for creative um, direction. The creative direction of the of the writing of this show is just like no other. You know what I mean? And so yeah, I really yeah. appreciate it for that. Um, but yeah, it, it was a great juxtaposition between Jeff's maybe the uh, developmental stunting versus the actual mental illness that his sister has. His sister has full-blown mental illness. Like she's not going to grow out of her problems. She needs to she needs like serious talk therapy. She needs like to 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 have people help her address her problems in an authoritative way. You know what I mean? Like Jeff will grow without the presence of like a counselor and just, you know, good, you know, people around him to help him like a nice, like a solid support network. Right. will help him. His sister Deidre, not at all, (laughs) not at all. That that woman's fundamentally broken. And so it's a, it's a, her mental illness is way different, way different. And it's really interesting to watch how they both go through it because they go through these cycles of codependence where Jeff is very dependent on her and she's very dependent on him. And so, yeah, you know, there's a saying that sick people can't, uh, sick people don't help, um, sick people can't help sick people. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's definitely one of those kind of relationships. So that's a really interesting, um, avenue to watch in that show. But, um, yeah, I'd love that. I just love that really complex nature. Like if you actually engage, like, and and I try not to do this, I try not to engage with the fictional characters too much, (laughs) but these ones are particularly well written and acted. And so, yeah. And their father Gosh, their father, man. Yeah, Frank. That whole, yeah, dude. He's a dope actor, and and their mother, for that matter. Um, yeah, it's just I don't want to ruin too much of it. Uh, I might talk about it on another episode, but yeah, uh, definitely watch that. That's another great watch. Um, Did this season just come out? No, I'm just late on it. Okay, like okay. most things. <laughs> um, but yeah, kidding. Season two definitely kept up. So if you watch season one, because um, I got season one for free. So if you were holding up on season two to the, you know, because you have to to purchase a subscription service to get a hold of it, I would say it's worth a month subscription. You know what I mean? It's worth the ten dollars because you'll find something else on it. Yeah, ten dollars ain't bad for a subscription. Yeah, I think it was eight ninety nine for the Showtime subscription for the month, yeah. and so we're getting some watching out of it. We'll cancel it or whatever. So, but yeah, you know, honestly, I think that's like the new wave. That's like that's like how you you consume shit now, right? You know, because there's a ton of like yeah. like Picard was online, um, but you had to go to like CBS All Access. It was only accessible <laughs> through that. So it was like one of those things like I'm not going to fucking subscribe to this for forever, but there's this series. So I would value like a TV series at about 12 bucks, a whole TV series for 12 bucks. That's now, mind fun. you, yeah. that's ridiculous compared to the fact that they used to be free. But, <laughs> but given you know, the times, it, it's cheaper than a DVD box set. I will, I'll pay for uh, uh, if you were to come to me and market 
like, hey, listen, I have a season of this show. You'll get to watch one episode and figure out if you like the show. If you like it, $12.99, and you'll get a grab bag of a thousand random movies that you can watch. Because that's essentially what it is. When you go to like, when you get a sub, you know what I mean? When you go yeah. to get your subscription for that one show, you know, you got access to all their other shit. And it's just a grab bag, essentially. And so you might find something else that you like. I would buy that as a marketing uh, scheme for, for TV shows. But anyway, yeah. Kidding season two was worth the watch. <clears throat> I also caught a, this show with uh, Carolina called Upload, which was vaguely entertaining. <laughs> like it, it, it kept me hooked to watch for the whole season. That's What's for sure. Um, so it's about a, a future in which they find a way to digitize your consciousness mm-hmm. and allow it to live in a virtual environment that they call heaven. Um, and they're working on a technology to re-upload that consciousness back to your body in the future, you know, once they've... So that's the whole thing. Um, so there's a company that runs a customer support line for the consciousness or the AI consciousnesses in the heaven. Uh, it's like a resort called Lakeview. Okay. And so... There's a guy who was recently, who recently died, and before his death, they got him to upload his consciousness to this environment, and the show centers around his interaction with his customer service rep that they call Angels. Okay, that's not, that's okay. Dope. Yeah, no, it, that, that, that's interesting. Pretty tough. The dude like is it. like, you know, a little bit. He's a little bit like, you know, kind of. He's. I don't know how to describe him. I genuine, you know, he's a pretty, pretty boy, uh, you know, clean cut, you know, athletic. I don't know. But, you know, that's like your stereotypical dude that all the girls fall for type of guy. And then, uh, like, he was a computer programmer in the world. And so part of the interactions is what happened to him up until his death and how the circumstances came for him being uploaded. Okay. And so Oh, Ronnie Amell. Yeah, I, I like it, the thing is, is I don't want to make it sound too serious cuz he's really goofy. Uh, like there's a lot of comedy and levity relay. That's why I I couldn't describe him right. I don't know how to like whatever. I see um um just a quick segue. He's also on that movie uh S- Something 8 on I want to say Sense8, but I think that's that old Netflix series. Yeah, just... But he's on a new Netflix movie with the with the Codate, I think it might be, with where he has powers and I actually want to see that. Mm-hmm. He's the brother of um the guy who plays Arrow. Okay. And um he, the, both of them are in this movie, but yeah. But yeah, so that's the the general premise of the show. And honestly, not for nothing it does it 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 keeps up the the comedy is is hit or miss sometimes but for the most part i say it hits more more than it doesn't mm-hmm. and uh the story actually does have some meat to it it's it's not just a typical because there's a very heavy rom-com feel to it at times um because he of course yeah, that being that like... playboy you know what i mean that pretty boy persona he's got his girlfriend who comes and visited, visits him in the virtual environment, and then the the customer service angel that he deals with is falling in love. With him. You know what I mean? He's you know he's pimping. You know pimping has <laughs> been pimping, and so 
that's a that's an undercurrent uh, undercurrent to the storyline. But for the most part, it's 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 pretty entertaining. That one was was definitely a hit. I'm actually looking forward to season two. I'm not gonna lie, because it, it left on a cliffhanger. But um, I won't I won't spoil that one because that one the the storyline relies heavily on the the plot twists to carry it. Okay. So I, I would recommend checking that one out. I'll give that one a. Uh, uh, a certified fresh rating. Can I do that? That's copyright infringement, isn't it? Uh, maybe. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Um, <laughs> maybe. But, um, yo, also, I caught this documentary on YouTube, and it's interesting because it's got, a, it's got 12 million views on YouTube, and yet it's not being promoted on any of the, the, the pages. Like, nobody's talking about this in the, in the media. And, boy, it's heavy. It's called Out of, the, Out of Shadows. Oh yeah, I heard about that, bro, bro. I mean, it's all, but it, you know what it is? Is that it's all shit that honestly I've heard before. You know, that's the scary part. You know what I mean about mm-hmm. Hollywood's connections to to Jeffrey Epstein and the the pedophile problem that Hollywood has. Like, it's a big yeah, problem. Definitely. And and I've heard about that. Too. I'm really surprised that it took this long for someone to 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 make it into that circle and not actually realize what it is you know what i mean like I, i'm genuinely surprised because it's been so long i mean those hollywood families go back to the early 1900s no like if i remember correctly like they started these these film houses like very early you know what i mean and yeah. so i'm just surprised that with as as widely proliferated as, as of an industry as it is that just now people are starting to come out. And I was surprised. Um, it, it now it touched on a lot of things that the mainstream media have already dubbed as conspiracy theories. And so I can imagine it's difficult for anybody to engage with it meaningfully. And I'm really glad that this guy, I mean, for what it's worth, he tried his best to engage it meaningfully, and and for for everything that he presented, there there there's no no one's ever meaningfully engaged with the facts, and and so he talks about the fact that the media portrayed things like Pizzagate and all of this stuff in one light intentionally to to obscure the actual court facts that were being presented and um yeah man i don't know it, it's some pretty damning stuff it, it seemed it seemed like there was a, a a lot to be to be delved into in there too um i don't know are you gonna watch it because i'll wait until you watch it to talk about it because it, it's it's a conversation i'm not sure maybe i might get around to it <clears throat> i can check it out yeah i mean it's definitely worth worth you know and if you got time to to, to take a watch, because <laughs> it was it was, it brought up, the thing is is that a lot of this information is presented to you separately, and that's and that and that's part of the obfuscation, because they'll they'll present one part of it to you and completely misrepresent it, and then you'll see another part of it pop up, and you'll never realize where the two things are connected. Right, and so. Yeah, I, I thought that the the guy who made this documentary did a really interesting job. Um, one of the producers, I think they were interviewing him at the end, 
and he was giving a little bit of the background as to why he chose to 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 make this documentary and it was interesting because as somebody who's a producer of of films when they were shooting him he wasn't looking at the camera it was weird it was like he had his head slightly off and to the right and so you weren't looking at him dead on and it was we it, it was so noticeable because you're used to people not purposely doing that you know what i mean like mm-hmm. train people are trained to be in front of cameras no there's a certain when you put your head at a certain angle you look weird in front of the camera because <laughs> if the shot isn't designed to be to look like that and it, and so it looked like he was looking away you know like he was shying away from the camera and i was like that was that's a really weird thing to not only shoot but then look back on it and say yep that was it <laughs> you know what i mean like it it was a little bit weird but the, for the most part i saw i i i a lot of the information that was presented seemed like it had had some credibility to it but yeah i would highly recommend checking out that documentary out of shadows um you'll know it because it's the one that got all the hits i mean i was surprised i was like god damn you know 12 million on an hour and some change an hour and 40 minute video that's like you know what i mean only been out for three four weeks that's pretty it's pretty substantial yeah, it's pretty good yeah because usually like if it's not a, a like a ripped movie or something, there ain't no one watching no hour and a half. He ain't Joe Budden. Not joking. Joe Budden does not see eleven million hits. Yeah, I was gonna in... say it depends on what it is. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's rare. I don't know very many things that got, that they, that would get eleven million hits in four weeks, regardless of the length. That's that's pretty big. Like eleven million. That's not that high. Nah, that's that's substantial. That's I mean, that's probably it's high, in, in but a as far as small standards, I that's nah. There's songs that hit millions in 24 hours, so like 11 million in a week doesn't no, seem no, no, that no, crazy. No. That's a song that you can that somebody could just leave you. I'm talking about a, a a movie, something that's that long. I don't know. I've seen Marvel trailers hit like yeah. I've seen Marvel trailers hit more than millions in 24 hours. That's though. an hour. You've seen an hour long trailer. Oh no no! You said okay. like you said no. I just literally said no. Something that that's that long. My bad. Yeah yeah. No no. As far as like an hour long thing, no. It, that was that mm-hmm. would say um yeah. I doubt there would be a, too many things. Not that, that they don't hit eleven million, things. but that hit really quickly. That hit and so yeah. Yeah, it would probably just be another movie, most likely. Yeah, I, I hope that I hope that people see it and engage with it seriously because I would like to know if it's like if it's not valid. Because a lot of this information, you can't just go in and check on yourself. You know what I mean? Like, right. I, and I really hate when people are like, "Yo, it's a freedom of, it's a FOIA document. You can just go to the government and ask for it." And it's like, nigga, go to the government and ask for it. Do you know how vacuous of a statement that is to tell <laughs> to the random, the average person, go get a FOIA uh, request fulfilled? Nah, you gotta know where. Specifically like, I, mean, the I don't know if there, is, there is. might be an, a website to do it, but I don't know. You know what I mean? Like nah, most you have people to don't know, know where man. the document is and what yeah. department to get it from, and all that other shit. Especially because if you go to the wrong place, no one's gonna go through extra work and then to tell find you how to do it. They don't have exactly. So you'd have to know exactly where to find those. So yeah, I hate when people say that because you, do that. you hear that a lot from people. Like, oh yeah, it's so easy. Just just get the FOIA documents, and I'm like, like, yo, you're half right. Yes, you are half correct. <laughs> like, and if you don't have credentials, they feel like they have liberty to give you the runaround. You know exactly. what I mean? When you're not a Precisely. journalist. Exactly they they know that say. you're not gonna go get a uh, a law enforcement agency to mm-hmm. back up your FOIA. You're like, nah, man. And I don't got no time for no lawyers. So, yeah, anyway, that's all to say. I hope somebody who has said time and, and expertise is able to fact check this and see where it's really at. Because 
um, especially in, in reference to the whole Pizzagate thing, um, they they were like really messing up people's careers who were trying to talk about this and just say, hey, you know what? If it's not real, then just come out and answer for the things that we're asking you. But no, of course, that's not going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, that's never going to happen. No. In most cases with those things, if you're not directly implicated, you wouldn't talk about it. You don't even want to bring that into your that conversation in and your name in the same sentence. Mm-mm. And implicate too. Yeah. You don't even want to be you don't want to be 10 feet from that. Yep. But yeah, so that that documentary, I would love to have a, a greater conversation about that just because is I, I don't I don't want to go and and valorize the worst possible ideas about about these people and the worst possible ideas about what's going on in society. That's not my goal. But if there's a fire, I'd rather scream fire and everyone look at me and be like, whew, man, you woke me up out of my sleep, but there was a fire. Then, you know what I mean? Everyone get roasted in their sleep and the few people who survive come like, damn, man, I wish more people would have survived. Like, damn, nobody ain't say nothing. How is more people going to survive? So that's why I, I, I say let, I want to have a conversation about that because that's serious business. You know what I mean? Like, we got to really look into the people who are responsible for perpetrating the messages that go in front of our faces every day because they're perpetrating ideas onto the public that they think are healthy. You know what I mean? I have a problem with the fact that Steve Mnuchin finances so many movies. <laughs> I have a problem with that because I know that Steve Mnuchin is not a good person. And I know that when Steve Mnuchin finances a movie, he's not saying, how will that impact the community of people who will be consuming it the most? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, I wonder how these images will positively or negatively affect. And what I'm saying is, is that it's not his job to censor those things. But when you give something such a broad platform as as national movie syndication, I don't mind when people make like, you know, risque or avant-garde private, you know, cinema experiences and they distribute it. That's I don't mind that as much. But when you get that massive platform, it starts to transcend, you know, it starts to get to audiences that might be protected. You know what I mean? And so that's where my problem comes in. When Steve Mnuchin is financing things that might be okay on a private level, but probably shouldn't be put on a national level, that's problematic to me because I don't believe in, in like the greater censorship of people's ideas. People should have an outlet for them, but that outlet is not always the national or international stage because that's what these movies are. You know, he's not financing movies that are just in America. He's financing movies that go around the world. Mm-hmm. And moreover, you know, does, is he thinking about how this is going to affect when, other, you know what I mean? Like China produces movies that puts them in a certain light for a reason. And I'm not saying we should do that, but it, you have to understand when you're in an international market, people are going, this might be some people's only interaction with, with your native culture. And so you should probably be mindful of the images that you feed other people of your native culture. Now, you know, on China's end, they feed them propaganda. They feed the world propaganda about themselves. Mm-hmm. That's not where I'm going with it. But you might want to feed the world accurate images of yourself or hopeful images or the better nature you know what i mean like don't yeah, always feed the world you, negative images of yourself the military in your movie you have to paint them in a good light 
in order for them to participate so so exactly they are doing this except they're only doing it to benefit things like the military and business they make businessmen look powerful and And, um like um ryan johnson the director of uh knives out he pointed out um bad guys aren't allowed to use iphones in movies because they don't want to give the implication that um you know they don't want to associate their phone with evil people so yeah they do do that but it's just to their own okay so yeah that's i so then i will slightly retract that uh we know that steve mnuchin pays attention or the people who produce movies for steve mnuchin pay attention to this and they're not always representing the greater ideals that we as people would like to put forth about americans they're putting forth ideas that benefit maybe american companies Mm -hmm. that are based in ireland (laughs) you know what i mean like but it's not really representing the 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 greater uh zeitgeist of the people in america that's for sure but yeah, so check out Out of the Shadows. Sorry about that off-brand rant, but um, yeah, that's literally pretty much all I've been watching. Um, hopefully, um, there's some more stuff. I want to watch Westworld season three. Um, I've been living the vicarious life and and uh, watching it through kind of like the YouTube uh, channels, but because I'm I'm highly dubious of paying for a, a HBO membership when there's only like one season of a show that i want to watch you know what i mean i would much rather wait until there's like two or three seasons of a show that i want to watch or two or three shows i'm sorry hbo usually has good movies though yeah but they're all movies that i've definitely seen like they're not like you know what i mean um like what's an outlet that usually has like indie movies you know like showtime will give you occasionally like an indie movie that's worth watching um hbo not so much but what they do have is good docuseries they do get some good docuseries that i'd be wanting to mess with so i'm just waiting for them to produce a couple more things and i'll probably get a membership to that and i'll watch westworld but yeah there's a couple of shows that i definitely want to catch up on yeah, it's been another really slow no news week. Um, it's been really interesting though. Uh, <laughs> I'll start out with some of the the, the silly things that have been said. Uh, Biden, man, dude, the man's a walking gaff machine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was talking. First of all, he fell asleep when he was talking to Hillary Clinton in the middle of a live stream. To be fair, he was talking to Hillary Clinton. That bitch Absolutely. was asleep too. He had every right to fall asleep at the same token it wasn't a good look (laughs) because of what people are saying about him already um and then he goes on to say first of all he's like i'm putting together the hillary coalition the person who lost this very same very same person (laughs) and then and then goes on to say you know i believe that the pete Buttigieg's of are the future of the party pete Buttigieg, who got Zero percent among minority votes. Who got? Who was finishing fourth and third in most of his positions? Even after, you know, uh, right up until Super Tuesday when he dropped out. You know, the, but the that's important the future. thing is he's a corporate plant. That's Boom. the important. And thing. this is the thing that really bothers me is that once again, just got that. If you if you think that Biden would have handled this better than Trump. He's literally saying he would put McKinsey-type thinking in charge of this. Larry Summers and McKinsey, the same people who are responsible responsible for failed financial policy leading into 2008 and then running 
price fixing schemes in Canada for them to to try to 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 lead into some kind of recovery. Like they've gotten so many schemes going on, and these are the people that we want to now. And I'm talking about Mr. Uh, uh, Booty Judge when he was an analyst for McKinsey was consulting for a Canadian supermarket that was trying to to rebound from the recession. And their great idea was to price fix on bread <laughs> so that they can start to to slowly recoup through through the 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 um the sales of bread over time. Like this is the kind of thinking that these people go through. Now that transposed onto today where you have a pandemic and a massive, massive economic uh, 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 a shock to the system that was completely avoidable. And what kind of thinking do you think is going to come out of those people? And so that it just just one of another, you know, multitude of reasons why Joe Biden is a non-starter for me. Why I'm I'm a Bernie or Bust type of person because it's not like they're offering more candidates that will bring some kind of reform or change. That's not what they're offering us. They're offering us candidates who are barely cognitive and who are telling me that their successors are the people who we definitely didn't want in the first place. This is what I'm talking about. When when he's over here lauding Pete Buttigieg, this is a man who who has deep issues with racist in, institutional racism in his administration in South Bend. So this is what I, I mean. The Democratic Party is is they're they're not presenting they're they're. They're not giving us anything to vote for. So all I can interpret that at is all I, I can interpret that as is that they don't want us to vote. They don't want your vote. If all you're asking is for the most basic of concessions and what you hand us is a convalescing man, then, OK, got it. Cool. You know, one thing that 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 the average person can really learn to do well with is learning to take the hint. Like she doesn't have yeah, to tell you she doesn't want to fuck you. She can she's telling you she doesn't want to fuck you. You might not be hearing it, but she's telling it to you with all the body language, you know what I mean? And that's what the Democrats are saying to minority people is like they don't want to fuck. And minority people have to come to grips with saying, "Okay, my bad." We really tried. Like we put the work in. We put the work in for them. And 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 seeing what seeing the Democrats and Nancy Pelosi and these fucking you know, almost got out of this whole thing without cursing. <laughs> to see them sit up there and 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 watch how African American constituencies are being so disproportionately impacted by this pandemic. After they rallied for her man's Biden. After they rallied for him. This is what I mean. Black people will never do. They will never do anything for us. And we will continue. And it hurts me so much when I see someone like Talib Kweli talking about you're you're voting for Trump if you if you vote, if you don't vote for Biden. <laughs> 
And I love me some Talib. You know, that's my dude. And when I see, and I see him on Twitter going ham on this, and I'm just like, and then the worst part is, is like, you know, it leads people down the avenue of saying, well, isn't Tari's allegations real timely? And I'm like, you know, it's a fucked up thing to do. This could be politically advantageous to the Republicans, and she could also still have been, these are not mutually exclusive things. She can have a very valid claim, and it's sad that it takes political advantage for it to actually be validated. But the fact of the matter is, is that she has made this claim many times, and it's it's not like this is the first time and she's just coming up with it in a timely fashion. She's been very scared about coming out about this because she understands the power of the cabal that she's speaking against. And so I think it's a little bit messed up for people to and, and it really shows the hypocrisy of 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 all of these um, these this Me Too movement altogether, because they're all turning their back on her. Remember, they were hashtag believe the woman. <laughs> or I don't know. Is that how you hashtag? That's not even what it was. But they were they were all about believe the woman, believe the woman, believe the woman. Believe, and now even her. Tarana Burke, the leader of Me Too, is like, mm, I don't know if I believe her. And it's like, wow. Like e her mom even called Larry King and was like, Yo, how does one do go about this? Like, there's mad public record of the fact that this woman has been trying to navigate this situation from the 90s. And so I think it's a it's it shows the utter hypocrisy of the Democrats. It shows how how fundamentally like like how this this fear mongering that the media does has taken the average person and made them so scared of Donald Trump that they're willing to fucking put Biden in office. That's that's why I'm so down on the media and I'm so anti-media establishment because this is what their fear-mongering does. It gets people to run from one monster into the jaws of another. And that's and that's really not good. That's really not, you don't want a political system that consistently puts the, the two evils in front of you. That's not a functional system. And you shouldn't participate in something like that. Like it's just, that's just a personal thing for me though. Like I don't want to participate in any system that will consistently force me to not get anything that I'm interested in progressing. I can go find a different system to partake in in that matter. But yeah, no, it's just, it, it sucks. It, it, Cause you look at the people who are, are, are fighting wholeheartedly for Biden and you got to wonder, like, do they realize that the DNC, these these top, you know, political uh, Democratic officials have installed someone that is uniquely capable of losing to Donald Trump? <laughs> no, no, no. Think about it. Who else? Anything, anything that you can say about Donald Trump, Joe Biden literally has a scandal to match it. His son was put on the board of the Ukrainian thing with through nepotism. His son's company has been taking money from China. Biden has sexual assault scandals. He's lied about his literally anything that Trump has done. The DNC has chosen the one person uniquely capable to lose to him on every front. And this is the people. This is the person that people are caping for. 
because they're so scared of Donald Trump. And I wonder if they realize that jo that Joe Biden was literally chosen to lose. He was literally chosen to lose. And I see people fighting death, like vehemently, earnestly for the man who was chosen to lose. And it's like, man, this system is really problematic if this is all it's offering to people. And then on top of that, it exists in an environment where those people can't see the, the farce that's being foisted upon them. And, and so I, I say all of that to preface that we're going into a very interesting season. There's a lot of protesting happening, <laughs> yeah, there which is. I'm very happy. Now, now, unfortunately, as, as a lot of corporations like to do, one thing that I would say is part of corporate culture is appropriation corporate culture and i will particularly put on co corporate culture loves appro appropriating things they love appropriating your traditions they love appropriating your uh your your style and look and they love appropriating your 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 mobilization and movements internal methods so what you see is is you have some people who are out there genuinely protesting that their businesses should be shut down because they're not practicing social distancing. They're not properly uh, providing sanitary uh, equipment. They're not providing, you know what I mean? These, and moreover, they're not reducing the production um, schedules to allow for the proper, um, you know, methods to be taken to for, uh, precautions for safety. And so you have these people forming their protests. And then on the other side, you have people protesting who are paid, who are astroturfed. And it was funny because during Occupy Wall Street, I used to hear about paid protesters. And now in Oakland, as far as I know, when I was out there protesting, there were no, none of us getting paid. <laughs> none of us were getting paid. I was out there preparing fucking food and taking food out to people who I knew who were going to be sitting there all night. You know what I mean? Like that's... None of us were getting paid, trust me. <laughs> but these people out here are now getting paid to protest the city hall to reopen the cities. Now, this is weird. Now, that's a weird protest because that's not... I, and, and I juxtapose that to the people who are protesting the sanitary conditions at their workplace because one thing that you have to be able to do in this in this this time there's of unrest right now is be able to identify the real protests versus the fake protests because they, they that does exist today it was very rare because of how dangerous it was to protest back in the day um and how negatively it was looked upon like if you were protesting you were considered you know you know untouchable by society back in the day and so it was very rare that you found somebody who just protested for the fun of it or who was willing to get paid to protest because it would put they would get blackballed their violence during the protest was very high whatever whatever but today and this is evidenced in, in another huge disparity that i'll touch upon but but today because of the kind of because of how safe it is for white people out there it's okay they they think that getting paid to protest is a thing 
And I'm, and I say that explicitly because I don't know of any black person who's ever been paid to protest, but I know of many white people who have been paid to protest. And also, it's just not safe enough for black people to protest to get paid to do it. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's much like there was a video online of the protests in Michigan. And I mean, those white people were like they looked like they were like a hair trigger from exploding they walked into the state building with automatic weapons oh yeah i remember those guys no i'm talking about this happened again recently yeah 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 Yeah. one from like two days ago yeah dude that shit we can't do that you cannot pay us to do that they will kill us (laughs) you cannot pay black and brown people to do that they will kill us in the street if we walk to the state building with guns they literally did you know that the that in in california there were no gun regulations or there were no real gun regulations in terms of like restrictions until the the black panthers Panthers. yeah brought firearms to the state building Mm -hmm. like like literally they would be rewriting gun laws right now if this was black people and so i say that to say recognize the real protests you got to, especially if you're a minority and you're interested in um, participating, recognize the real protests. Because let me tell you, don't be fooled into thinking that, you know, oh, I generally support a cause. So getting paid to support it is, is a good idea. Don't do it. Don't that, that paid protesting. It's not a good it's not a good look. Sounds like the cause is supporting <laughs> you. <laughs> but. Bro, it, it's the bigger problem is, is that they are they're creating an environment in which all of the gains of any kind of social or responsible distancing that people have been taking just gonna get thrown out the window. You know, all of the the ability because the thing is is, and I'm not sure where I'm not sure. When, but I'm thinking by the end of June, they're probably going to start reopening again by the end of June. And if we, if generally that's what people want to happen, you can't like protesting in the street isn't, isn't changing that. That's the thing is, is like the protests against the, the reopening, the protests to reopen are nonsensical because most of the states are already moving to reopen. And so it makes no sense that they're protesting to reopen because the states are already attempting to move towards that. So I'm not exactly sure why those protests even exist. Now, the people who are protesting, like, let's say, the total wine workers who have been protesting because they are considered essential workers for some reason, similarly to to pork, to the pork manufacturers— the people who work at the pork industrial plants are considered uh, essential workers. They have to wear masks, yet they don't. They don't practice certain social distancing. There's no policies. There's no hazard pay, which they. If th- that seems fundamental, like I don't understand how that stands up in a in a court of law. Like you literally have people wearing face masks. You're literally changing laws to allow people to wear masks in public. You're saying wear gloves. You're saying stand six feet away, but it's not a hazardous environment. I've never met a safe environment that requires me to do all of those things. So, and I'm not, that's not to say that 
that we should deem this a safe environment. It's not. They should be getting that hazard pay. The fact that they are working and they are considered essential and Congress has not deemed any emergency necessary for them to convene is crazy. <laughs> it, it really points out the fundamental fallacies. And, and, and Congress ain't giving their paychecks back. They're not taking a pay cut. They're not doing dude, They're getting paid chilling right now to chill. And so it, it, you got to what what we got to do is we have to recognize where the movements are that are actually effective, because that's where we need to uh, to coalesce, because I feel like these astroturfed protests, the astroturf, meaning the fake grassroots, you know what I mean? Like a grassroots protest is one that organically comes up and is is comprised of people from the the uh, affected community or constituency organizing amongst themselves with their own backing to move forward an agenda that helps them in that, you know, that's a grassroots movement. AstroTurf is when a large entity comes down and pays people to represent their interest in the public sphere as if that is those people's genuine uh, interests. And that's not good. That is not how protests work. Now, I imagine that there's people out there who are like, but why is that bad? Well, the interests of the individual people are very different than the interests that might come down from a large corporation. Because a large corporation is probably run by a board of people who do not live in the affected area. And so the suffering of those people does not weigh heavily on their hearts. And so unfortunately, because capitalism tends to ruin things, you can bet that most like like Walmarts, Walmarts ruin areas. They ruin them. They 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 circulate bad food, as in food that lacks nutrition. They ruin job markets. They create uh, stagnation in, in upward progress in in neighborhoods that they come into. They push mama. You know what I mean? Capitalism they don't pay destroys. Wage and they don't give enough hours for yeah. you to actually get full time benefits and shit. They, they 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 ruin areas that they move into. And so then a protest that's representing the interests of the people who own that 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 business rather than a protest representing the interest of the people who live in that community who need jobs would look very, very differently. And so it's very important for us to be able to to identify those things. And so one of the things that I've noticed is is that there's a very clear dichotomy in these protests between the people who are protesting because of the valid uh, hazardous environment that they're working in and that they need amended for them to continue to work through this pandemic and the resulting aftermath. And then the people who want to reopen based on the fact that if they can reopen the businesses, they are no longer required to support the people who cannot work based on this uh, pandemic. So the opening of the businesses for one set of people represents their livelihood coming back into play because the government has failed to provide them any kind of safety net when the government themselves asked them to stay home for public safety. And then you, on the other hand, you have people who want to reopen because they want to they want to neglect and obfuscate the necessity for them to take care of the prior group. 
And unfortunately, they're both calling for the same thing, but not for the same reason. And it's very important that you do not support one side or the other unless you understand what your best interest is in this. And I'm 90, I'm sure that 99% of us fall on the best interest of one side because I don't think any of us own a big enough business to get a, a, a business loan from these stimulus checks. And so, yeah, we're more interested in, hey, how do we organize to get them to help the, 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 the people and not reopen these businesses to walk away from their obligation to the people? That's the dichotomy between these two things. And so it's really important that we understand that or else you might find yourself supporting a, a, a struggle to reopen that is not your struggle to reopen. And so that and that's why in the beginning, I was always so against the, the fear mongering and all of that, because it was creating an environment where people who had no safety net were about to give up their livelihoods. And the entire time I was saying we should deal with that first, because if you think that after if you think that after they're fired, they're going to get help. If you think after they've lost, you know, their ability to pay their rent, they're going to get help. If you think after all of their bills are late, they're somehow going to get help. That's not going to happen. You got to assure them that assistance prior to this. So I blame the media establishment in large part for why we are where we are here. Because instead of saying, hey, you know, we need to be very reasonable in, in, in what's going on here because if we don't, the fear-mongering is going to drive us to a place where people are dying. I blame the media as much as – I blame both sides of the media. Fox News kills people from disinformation and telling them to drink bleach. And then you got the, the left-wing media who, who's going the complete opposite uh, direction and fear-mongering people so badly that they don't have no clue what to do. And then they, instead of taking the time to actually organize into groups that can sustain this long-term you know, isolation that we had to put ourselves into, that's not what they weren't saying. They weren't saying, hey, you know what? Make sure you got your social groups. Guess what? You can't be around everyone, but you should have four or five people that you can trust. And you guys will agree that you're just you four people will be around each other to make sure that you guys can cover all of the bases for the things that you need, because it's really hard to do it by yourself. That's not what they were saying. You know what I mean? They were saying, oh, you know what? We need to just go inside, isolate and jump on Instagram live, you know, and it's like, hmm. I mean, yeah, that'll entertain you for a little while, but I don't know if that's going to be the best way because as soon as people get bored, they're going to do shit like what's happening now. They're bored and they're broke and they're not getting any assistance, so now they're out in the streets again. Congratulations. Did we did we flatten the curve enough? Did we did we save the world? I don't and and then the worst part is is that I don't even based on our area, we didn't nothing changed except people wear face masks now. That's it. And a bunch of people lost their job. I apologize. I shouldn't say nothing changed. A lot of people lost their job. But for the most part, nothing really changed. There's a line at the supermarket now, and that's just because they filter people in, which was probably something they should have been doing it in the first place because the supermarket is way more tolerable now, like 10 times more tolerable now because not everyone's in there. And you know what I mean? It's crazy. And so it's like, mm, I don't know, man. 
I think they really could have not fear-mongered the whole situation and, you know, get into the panic porn and all of this crap. And we'd probably be in a similar place and probably be better off because we'd still be interested in hearing what they have to say. And if they had something of value to say, we'd listen to them. But they, they've already made that a, a foregone conclusion. There's no way to, to, to rely on them for, for reasonable information. But yeah, no, I was ranting off on that. I just wanted to say uh, we could do a little uh, a, a, what I'll call a, a protest primer. <laughs> something that you can use to to these are three little tidbits you can use to kind of analyze when you hear in the news or in conversation about people protesting protest pro tips protest pro tips yes um first there's always two constituencies and it's important to to identify the constituencies being represented um, because a, you could tell if it's bullshit if there's only one constituency. Like in those in the protests that that I was talking about earlier, the ones where in Michigan where they're protesting to reopen um, the state, there's only one constituency because the state is on the side of the people. Everybody is interested in opening back up the state. The state wants to open up its businesses. They have no dog in the fight of keeping the businesses closed. Michigan, for the most part, they're, they're, they're going to socially distance if they're going to socially distance. They, you know what I mean? It's the winter. It's, I mean, no, it's not. It's the, it's the summer. But, like, they're not going to—they're going to go out in the streets with their guns no matter what. <laughs> they're not going to stop. You know what I mean? So— that is when you're looking at them protest, they're protesting against the state that is a, already in the in the in in the goal of giving them what they want. So that's a bullshit protest. There's only one constituency. They're both on the same side. Reopen the state. And so that's what I mean. You have to be able to identify constituencies. Whereas when you look at the Amazon protests, there's two constituencies. There's the workers who are working in hazardous conditions, and there's Amazon. Uh, the board of Amazon and their administrators who are in charge of determining whether hazard pay gets paid out. There's two constituencies. The next thing you have to identify is what these constituencies are vying for. Because a lot of times what ends up happening is, is that you might understand clearly what one side wants, but you don't know what the other side wants. And unless you know what both sides want, you'll never be able to, to, to come to grips with what's going on. And so it's really important. So when you look in uh, back at protests like Occupy Wall Street, it was very clear what one side wanted. The people who were sleeping in the park, they wanted a reform to the banking system that caused the, the 2008 crisis. Got it. But it was really difficult to isolate, based on what the mainstream media was saying, what the other side, the other constituency, the Wall Street constituency wanted. Because it was clear, the mainstream media was saying that, oh, but look at these companies that you're boycotting. These are your Facebooks, your Amazons, and they're doing, they're the 1%, but they're doing so much for the world. And so they obfuscated what they really wanted. What the, what the, uh, what the, the Wall Street constituency really wanted was the ability to control public protest. And so, Without the mainstream media, you know, vocalizing that and saying, well, 
we hear that this is what you want. You want a curtailing to the to the financial uh, sector of our of our economy. They're over here looking at you guys, and they're just using this as a way of controlling public spaces. Because after Occupy Wall Street, they were able to lobby Congress to to ban public gatherings. And now it's literally illegal to protest in any meaningful size. So if you don't understand what these constituencies are, are, are trying to do, you'll never be able to understand the counter, uh, the counter protest that's coming from the other side. And so that's why it's important for the media to really get it right when it comes to these things and why I get so on top of them when I recognize that they're not really uh, are representing the information. And I'm not saying it has to be fair, fair and biased, but it has to be factual so that the people can actually choose and understand what's going on. Because having people blindly shout into the, into, the, into the sky in anger, that ain't helping anyone. That's not getting any progress done for a protest. It's not. So first, you have to be able to identify the constituencies. Then you have to understand the underlying tensions between these two constituencies. And then the third thing that you want to understand is what avenues can be taken to reach the goals. So when you, I'll go back to the example of Occupy Wall Street, they had clear examples of what they wanted to do to reach their goal. Now, granted, once again, the media never wanted to portray that. They wanted, because Occupy Wall Street very clearly wanted Congress to pass a, a, a federal legislation that would cap CEO pays and endowments that would that would um, restrict stock buybacks that would nullify stock buybacks with federal loans they had they had real demands but unfortunately the media never put it out there so it was difficult for anybody who might have wanted uh, who who might have been interested in participating or knowing more about that movement from ever really interfacing with it and so those for those of you who are who are watching these protests, those are three things that you can use to to kind of analyze them. Or if you're listening to this and you're interested in 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 organizing or a movement or 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 a group of people to to get a point out there, those are three things that you need to do to be able to mobilize your point. If you can't establish those three points and get those three points communicated to not just your constituency, but the other side, whatever uh, organization you might have contention with, to other people who might be observing, if you can't communicate those three things, you know, clearly define who your constituency is and who you represent, clearly define the organization or entity in which you oppose, clearly define what the issues are that, that, that establish that contention, and then clearly defined how you want to get from where you are now to the other side of whatever tension there is. If you can't communicate those things, or if you don't hear those things from any kind of, of, of movement or, or gathering or protest that you're trying to participate in, you, you should be working towards establishing those things as a groundwork. But yeah. That was just a little bit something that uh, I've been thinking about because that's pretty much all I see coming out of the news these days is um, protests popping up here and there and everywhere. And I, and I know that not a lot of people have a huge background in, in civil disobedience, 
Um, so yeah, that's just a little something for that. Yo, before we wrap up though, I did hear some interesting news about the next versus battle. Nice. Jill Scott versus Erica Badu. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty bad. I I would very much be interested in that. But I was I was thinking, man, do you think that they're establishing those versus battles as um as gender battles, like only dudes versus dudes and chicks versus chicks? Because I could think of a couple of cross gender battles that would be fire. Nah, it's probably just convenient that way. I know, and it's mostly I know a lot of genres of music are kind of mm-hmm. split by gender. Pretty but much. I was thinking. There could be uh, uh, a North Carolina royalty battle between J. Cole and Rhapsody. Hey, man, put it out there. Yo, my G. Because that's, and I think that those, I think those two rappers in particular are very well uh, suited to, to battle each other because they, they share a certain style. They share um, a lyricism. They rap on, on not the same beats, but their, their styles kind of they they share a lane i very much think a rhapsody and j cole um between the energy they bring to the track you know what i mean everything like that i think that they're in a similar enough lane that a battle between them would actually kind of jump off that that sounds pretty dope yeah man we're gonna do that for nc royalty (laughs) but yeah man yeah that's that's it for today there wasn't a whole lot going on but yeah, we'll we'll wrap on that. A little fun note. Um, I'm definitely gonna follow up with that. Um, I think that the I think the Jill Scott battle is on um the ninth. The ninth. Oh, you 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 where you know what's up. Mm-hmm. Um, that's next Sunday. So yeah, we'll see what's going on. My if I can catch that before we come in, I definitely want to give my verdict because <laughs> I love me some Miss Scott. <laughs> Don't even ever get it twisted. Like when I seen her in in Black Lightning, I was like, man, she killed that role, and then she came back, and then he. God, man. Yeah, definitely. My money's on Jill Scott. Erica's. You know, I, mean, I it, like it, Erica. It's a, it's a toss up, but I like Erica. But I think that she's um, I think she's hiring her own shit. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like she she be too. I I, I love the ambiance, and I, and I and I don't want to diminish her. That's the thing is is like it's not a disrespect thing. I respect her greatly, and and. For somebody to have built up the persona that she has, like that persona, she the persona she has is mystical. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I don't want to take away from that. That's just not my cup of tea. <laughs> like I could, because we come from a, a place where the spirituality is, is it, it, you don't force it. It's a very easygoing spirituality. And so when the spirituality seems to take you so far away from the present reality, seems like you're doing too much to me. But that's about her and not her music, though, right? Or is no, that, no, not know. her music. That's just purely about her. Okay, her music's fucking amazing. Are you crazy? <laughs> you better call Tyrone. Yeah, yeah, I get yeah, the. I don't know. legendary. You know, I'm thinking back right now. Like, I don't know why I fucking liked that song so much as a kid. I'm like, yo, niggas. I'm trying to think. I think I was probably <laughs> like, yeah, I must like have been nine. nine. Yeah, I was thinking. I'm thinking it was about nine there. when that song came out. I used to sing that shit like. Like I know who the fuck Tyrone was. Like my mom dated <laughs> hey, Tyrone and he broke shit. her heart or something. Like, I'm like, That's funny. why the fuck did I use? I used to sing Damn, that song like that. She was named Tyrone around <laughs> that time. It's just crazy. Like it's so funny the things that children like. Like fucking Kendrick loves Sir John Redcorn. Yeah. And are you familiar with the song? Mm-mm. It. Are you familiar with who John Redcorn is? Nope. 
So in King of the Hill, there's a, there's a character named Dale. This is a redneck dude. That John Ray. I'm familiar that with that John, John Ray. Yes. He made a song about that because that's a very, like, that's granted ridiculous. that that was a very stylized version. But, yo, falling in love with someone else's chick and she's entertaining you <laughs> while she's in the relationship is a very common thing. You don't got to be a dusty white dude for that to happen to you. And so he oh, made that man. song because he probably was very much man. identifying with that character because he was in a similar position. And I say all about to say, what the fuck does Kendrick know about the heartbreak of falling in love with somebody who's already in love with somebody? <laughs> and this nigga love, yo, I'll put that song on, son. This nigga will be crying. He'll stop crying and stand up and look and watch the watch that song being performed. Yo. Like he loves oh, that man. song so much. And it's just like, damn, dude, it's so weird. Like how people connect to things. Like to, to sounds really? that relay thoughts that might not have anything to do with the, their life experience. Yeah, music does that. Um, it connects to you in unexpected ways. Yeah, man. But alrighty, cool, cool, cool. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. I'm going to have to leave you with these words. Time is only wasted if you choose to waste it. And always learn from your mistakes. It's the only thing you ever do learn from. Follow us on Twitter at Home Heron. And have a great one, guys. Peace out. Take it easy.